because I just went gay all of a sudden. Pats Blue Ribbon! I'm Charles Foster King! Snap out of it! Ahoy, sexy! It's showtime, folks. What is up, Criteria Cats? You're listening to Criteria Cast, the podcast you listen to when you want to rekindle your loveless marriage. I'm your host, AJ. I'm your other host, Noah. I'm the third wheel on this date, Gabe. You're, you're the, the Monica Vitti of our podcast? I don't know that reference, but no, I feel he, like he's, the, he's the dying guy in the first scene. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the bump bump now. Tommaso. Tommaso. Yeah, we should, we, should, we should edit your face out of Tommaso. Yeah. <laughs> that's perfect. Yeah, yeah. Gabe, if you were dying in a hospital, I'd come drink champagne with you. Dude, oh, yeah. dude, she didn't even drink. She didn't take a drink. Yeah. Uh, I know, she's a bad hang. Like, I don't really feel bad that their marriage is ending. But we'll get to that. So we are still in the midst of our Summer of Love series in which we discuss that movies about love, whether it be new or dying. Today we're looking at Michelangelo Antonioni's La Note, which is Italian for The Note, which follows a day in the life of an unfaithful couple in their steadily deteriorating relationship. So yeah, we're going to talk about the plot, we're going to talk about the style, we're going to talk about some trivia, but first, uh, Noah, this is one of your like all-timer letterbox top four movies, so why don't you set the stage on uh, how you view La Note and what you love about it, and then we can get into it. Uh, well, so this this film was the second um, the second Antoni, Antonioni movie that I saw. The first, because it's the second one in the on modernity. And the first one I saw was obviously La Ventura. And um, that kind of like prepared me for this one. So I wasn't just kind of like going in like raw dogging Antonioni. Just kind of like went, you know, got some prep. Um, and yeah, dude, this movie changed the way that I like view art and like how I interpret things and interpret images and metaphors and everything. Like, We'll get into that later, but this was just one of those movies that I saw that just changed my life, really. I mean, not from like a personal sense, just like I said, it kind of, it was like a major paradigm shift for me. Um, and it's just the, the, another, well, we'll get, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. That's, that's the, that's the surface level thing. We'll dive in later. I respect everything you said, but you said it wasn't a big change but it was also a paradigm shift yeah well it's like a paradigm shift in like a specific like one area movie. okay you know gotcha. what i mean like i don't i'm not like looking at the world differently it, it i mean i everything that this movie says i already believed but um it just artistically it made me look at things differently so gotcha. that's why i'm saying it's like a big change but not i understand i, I get you. yeah like you didn't drop everything and move to italy because of the movie yeah, exactly. Yeah, I did write like a couple years ago. I wrote a analysis of this for some reason. I just wanted to like write an essay on it, and it's a kind of a shorter essay. But we'll I'll read it later. Um, but we should probably go through the plot and some stuff first. Yeah, we'll go through the plot. Um, this is kind of our fourth movie in a row where it's mostly vibes over plot, like. There's a plot, but it's not like, oh, this happens, which causes this to happen. It's more just like, oh, let's go around this nice Italian city and take in the vibe of these various situations. And yeah, I'll go through the Wikipedia plot. La Plate, as I'm calling this section now. So Giovanni is a distinguished writer, and his beautiful wife Lydia visit their dying friend Tommaso in a hospital at Milan. They share a toast of champagne with him, though Tommaso can barely hide his pain. 
Uh, Lydia is overwhelmed at the sight of her sick friend and leaves. Giovanni gets entangled with a deranged patient as he attempts to leave. Uh, he eventually meets up with his wife where he tells her about the run-in with the patient, though she doesn't believe his innocence and says it's like your responsibility. Yeah, he uh, he kind of just let that one happen. Yeah. Like, oh no, she wants to... Suck my dick. Oh, I guess. <laughs> no! Oh. no. Sigh, here we go again. To be honest, I, don't, I just don't think he cared either way. He was just like, uh, I'm so depressed, I'm just going to do whatever. She wants to fuck off. And he's like, I'm not into it, but I'm not not into it. We'll see how long this takes. And then some nurses run in and just start beating the shit out of her. That was fucking hilarious when I saw that. <laughs> they're they're like, straight up and just like punching her in the face. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> that's that's your medical treatment. I love that was so funny. It's like She's hysterical. <laughs> finger her real quick. Give her a finger. She's hysterical. That's a callback in case you didn't listen to the last episode. Yeah, that's kind of a, yeah. She was just she's hospitalized for being too horny. <laughs> That's probably what it, what it was. I I kept waiting to see if they would say like, oh, she's sick with uh, a disease or something, but she just seemed kind of horny and a little nuts. She's just a 1960s housewife. <laughs> just horny. She's in an Italian movie in the early 20th century. That's just how how it's going to be. Pretty sure there was someone like that in Eight and a Half too. I haven't seen that movie in a couple of years, but yeah, there was like a crazy horny lady. Which also stars Marcelo Mastroianni. Yeah. I wonder if it's the same suit he wore for both. <laughs> Probably. Dude, he was getting in with all the the major... Direct- he, he worked with Jean-Luc Godard, too, I think. He's He's been in all the those major art house European directors. Yeah. He was like, he's like the Ryan Reynolds of the art house scene. Uh... Yeah, you agree with me on that, Noah. Thank you for shaking your head and saying, yeah... Woo, fuck. Ryan. <laughs> don't mention. Dude, don't, Mint Mobile. You just mentioned he who should not be named. <laughs> really? That's like. Mar- Marcelo could do Deadpool, but Ryan Reynolds couldn't do La Note there. That's facts. They're going to do a remake, but Ryan Reynolds turned into. Oh, Deadpool. God, that would be so horrible. Ryan Reynolds <laughs> is Mas- Marcelo. Blake, Blake Lively is his un- like, unhappy wife. Ugh. Imagine if the third Deadpool is just straight up an art house movie with no pretensions. They're not mocking it. They just straight up made an art house movie. <laughs> but, but he just keeps wearing the mask. Yeah, no, he's still dressed like Deadpool. It's still the characters, but it has the like vibe and a uh, plot structure of an Antonioni movie. I, th- I think it'd be funny if he's like wearing a suit, but just the mask. Yeah, maybe he's got a cigarette hanging just below. He takes it up every now and then. Imagine, imagine Lanote, but it's Ryan Reynolds, and then Zoe Deschanel is Monica Vitti, and just some like weird, just weird castings. How horrible that would be. Mm-hmm. Ugh, stop biting me. I'm glad that movies that were made long ago weren't made by people who live today. I know. Mm. Um, so after the hospital, they drive to a party celebrating Giovanni's new book, where Lydia stands around in the background looking all mopey because her husband's a published author. Uh, she gets tired of the party and leaves to wander the streets of her old neighborhood. She walks by a few different settings, a crying baby alone in a yard, upsetting, we'll get back to that, a brutal street fight, and some kids setting off rockets. Eventually, she calls Giovanni to pick her up. At home, she takes a bath and asks Giovanni if they can go out tonight. They go to a cool jazz bar where a woman balances a glass of wine on her head. Lit. So impressive. That was so cool. Yeah. I never 
like doing a strip tease, but I was like, dude, that wine glass is fucking. He's, she's going buck wild that with that so wine glass. Fucking cool, bro. Mm-hmm. I'm like, wow, you know, not to mention them, but Marvel has made 40 movies and never had a thrill as high as watching someone balance a glass of wine and then drink it afterwards. While doing like a pop and a split and drinking wine upside down. like I want someone to edit one of those crowd reaction shots, but it's when she finally gets the glass in her mouth and then drinks it backwards and everyone just loses their shit. Like, yo, like it's fucking Thor getting the second hammer or something. Yeah. <laughs> edit the Marvel fans That's, in there. Cheering for yeah. That, that sounds amazing. I want. I gotta get into. I gotta get into Photoshop. I think I could. I don't know. Yeah, you could take over the edits. I'll do that. That sounds like fun. I'll get I still haven't. I still haven't done one for this yet. Usually, I do them a couple weeks in advance, but I haven't gotten around. I've been busy. Um, we need to talk about how she just leaves a baby alone in a yard. Yeah. What the fuck was that? That has to be a metaphor, right? Yeah. What's your take on that, Noah? I didn't really think about that part, honestly. I was just kind of like, yeah, it's just a baby. <laughs> the only thing I started projecting onto the movie was that, like, it's her inner child who's really sad and she doesn't know how to, like, actually, like, help it. So she just walks away from it instead of addressing her own eternal sadness. Well, isn't it like she's going back to their old neighborhood where they were first newlyweds? So maybe the crying baby is like, oh, it's my child, it's my, you know, youth, but it's not happy. So, yeah. yeah, those were the days I grew up, but I'm still crying. Oh, yeah, her, um, well, now that I'm thinking about it, all those crumbling buildings, her uh, old way of life is crumbling away. She's getting old. Maybe the baby, yeah. Midlife the, crisis. The baby crying is like her a representation of her youth just being torn away and destroyed. Better be a goddamn metaphor or else that's criminal negligence, just leaving a child alone yeah, like, oh, someone will find you that wasn't even like a four-year-old that was like a two-year-old that was a yeah. tiny i was looking like oh you know maybe the parents left them out to play and i'm like oh no that's still a child you have to prop up so that it doesn't smash its head in <laughs> like my like my nephew's like two now and he just figured out how to balance he's he's still kind of on the line with balance that's awesome good for him yeah <laughs> nice. i'm on the podcast Ugh, he's annoying, dude. <laughs> no, I love him, but God, he's a screamer. <laughs> He'd be crying. Babies be crying. Yeah. Babies be little fucking babies about stuff. You know? Yeah, so she leaves the baby all alone and then she goes and watches a street fight that just, like, the jets and the sharks just kind of come out of nowhere and start brawling. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they're, like, just kind of palling around. And then they get up there and they're just, like, beating each other's heads in. West Side Story just starts happening with the music. One thing that's really funny about that scene is the guy that won the fight had a bloody nose, and the guy on the ground just got up completely unscathed. I'm like, did you win or lose that fight, dude? Why like, are you why yeah. are you bleeding more than the guy who you beat up? He lost spiritually. <laughs> well, it didn't even sound like any of those punches connected. Nah, no. That's okay. It was one of those movies before like 1970, they just didn't have sound effects. Yeah. Uh, around 1970, they're like, hey, you know how it makes sounds when you do things in the world? What if we added those to movies? And then Star Wars was the first movie to ever have a sound effect. Yeah. What? Just, yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. Wait, you. Gabe, did you seriously not know that? Yeah, Star Wars is the first movie to have I sound don't... effects. Nah, <laughs> fuck off. I, I, know, I know you're taking advantage of the fact I don't know anything about cinema, but that's not a thing. I, you can go back and look. Literally watch any movie made before Star Wars and there's no sound effects. 
I'm like trying to think. No. That's bullshit. Stop. M and it had sound effects. Got it. It had some. M actually didn't have a lot. There is several scenes where I'm like, there should be sound here. There's a lot of walking and no cobblestones. Yeah. Yeah, so that was a lie. One of my classic lies. Yeah. I should start lying more on this podcast. It's a lot of fun. It is kind of fun. Uh, they then go to a party thrown by a wealthy businessman. At the party, Giovanni socializes with the guests and appears to be in his element, while Lydia walks around in a state of boredom. Giovanni wanders off and meets Valentina, uh, played by Monica Vitti, the host's lively, charming daughter. They meet on that scene where she's like, there's a big checkerboard on the ground, you know, and she's just like throwing. I really have a picture of it. He does. Oh, yeah. You guys are watching it currently? No, I mean, I have like a framed picture, like a framed picture of it. Oh, <laughs> nice. Yeah. You're making the man cave. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got Monica Vitti on the wall, dude. <laughs> a pinup of Monica Vitti and Lano Day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. That's like my like having a like, Sports Illustrated poster on the wall. It's just Monica Vitti. Yeah. <laughs> this is I'm a Cinephiles man, man cave. My, my yeah. man cave just has a goatsy on the wall. Look it up. No, I know what it is, Gabe. That's why I did the. <laughs> though the one to a hundred with you never never bores me yep um so they flirt for a little bit she teaches him the game she just invented and then everyone at the party seemingly has to see uh, i wanted to know whether they were all trying to get with her or they were genuinely like this is awesome whoa this is crazy what is that game the, that's a game in the Olympics, kind of. Is that curling? It's like similar to curling. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a there's a few games that are a lot like that. Um, yeah. I don't know the name of any of them because they all seem boring. But <laughs> hey, if Monica Vitti's playing it, you know that automatically adds a little enthusiasm. No, I, I think it's what you were saying earlier, the prior, where it's like Monica Vitti's playing it, so we're interested. <laughs> yeah. Uh, later, they see each other alone, and Giovanni makes a pass at her, kissing her while Lydia looks on from the floor above. It is just not her day. Lydia's having a rough one during La Note. Yeah. Oh, dude, the, the, one of the house guests, though, that um, the husband was talking to, literally just described their situation. Yeah. But you should write about a woman whose husband... <laughs> I know, that was so <laughs> you should you should write a, a a story about a woman whose husband is wearing a black suit and hates her. Yeah. <laughs> and then kisses Monica Vitti in five minutes. I thought that, yeah, that was rough one for Lydia. I felt for. Well, can you even call that foreshadowing? Like. <laughs> no, it's uh, what's the term? There was, uh, dramatic irony. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, we know something that the character doesn't. Um, Lydia calls the hospital and learns that Tommaso died 10 minutes earlier. Overwhelmed with grief, she watches from a window as the guests enjoy themselves. Later, she sits at a table opposite an empty chair. Giovanni walks over and does not sit down, and Lydia does not tell him about Tommaso's death. Yep. Yeah, this is rough. This is one of the more authentic uh, couple at the end of their rope movies i've seen where it's just like you're not they're not even fighting they're just so done with each other 
They're just like, I... No passionate. There's no passion left to even fight or argue. Yeah, they're just like, you're still here. All right, you want to do something? God, that was so painful, the bathroom scene where it's like, please just be attracted to me. And he's like, no. I know. Yeah, he's just like, whatever. Yeah. Like you get a naked woman in the bathtub and there's nothing in you. Like, no, no reaction, nothing. It's a rough part of life. I felt that too, but it's odd seeing it from like a different perspective. You're like, oh. So you've always been on the, the Lydia side of the couples breaking up, not to pry too much. Me? Yeah, I just wanted to know no, your connection, because I've been on both sides of these uh, characters. I, I've, I've most recently been the Giovanni side, where I was like, I really don't feel anything for you, and I kind of want to... You're not terribly important to me. Yeah. You know, uh, but uh, I, I've also been in a Lydia like situation before too. Um, but I was never like it was never like we were never like that official uh, uh, when I was doing that. When I was just like basically knew they had no interest in me anymore. So you know, it is what it is. Yeah. Love hurts. <laughs> I mean, being on the, I mean, I think being on the Gino, the Giovanni side is far better, though, because it's like, well, you know. He's just kind of, like, depressed, but he's just fucking, you know? Yeah. That's basically Italian cinema, depressed fucking. <laughs> in black like, and white. Yeah, the most attractive people in the world who hate themselves. Hmm. Do we have time for a finance corner with Goob? Yeah, I'm not done with the plot if you want to wait till I wrap that up. This is a surprisingly long Wikipedia plot summary for the events that happened in this movie. I guess, you know, you have to describe each individual event because it's a lot of like small events all building up towards the end. But I'm going to skim some of these. A man named Roberto, who had been following her, approaches her, asks her to dance, and she accepts. A sudden shower sends the guests running for cover, and some jump in the pool like children. As Lydia is about to jump in from the diving board, Roberto stops her, takes her to his car, and they drive off. She enjoys Roberto's company and their conversation, but as he's about to kiss her, Lydia turns away from him, saying, I'm sorry, I can't. Was this before the concept of, like, being sexually assaulted was a thing? Like... Who just gets in the car with a random person and gets driven away somewhere? She just doesn't care. Yeah, but... she was vibing. She's at a yep. fun, swanky Italian party. Her husband's not paying attention to her. Looking for literally any form of excitement that she can. That's true, yeah. But still, that I was just like, man, that could go wrong so easily. Oh, for sure. Bro, we've been there where it's just like, oh, you'll talk to me. Yep, true. Yeah. Love hurts. <laughs> uh, back at the party Giovanni searches through the crowd and finds Valentina alone watching the rain she tells him she's smart enough not to break up a marriage and instructs him to spend the rest of the evening with his wife Giovanni reveals that he's going through a crisis common among writers but in his case it is affecting his whole life they return to the guests just as Lydia and Roberto return from their drive Giovanni seems slightly annoyed by Lydia's behavior I like that shot where it's like they're almost mirrored where it's you got the one Italian woman in a black dress, and then on the other side, there's a Italian man in a black suit with slicked hair. Yep. It's almost like they're swapping. Mm -hmm. um, refresh me on the writer scene, because I can't remember the exact 
stuff he's talking about it but i remember his like existential crisis writers conversation he was having um i think he was just saying that he has not nothing left to say yeah because they're always saying oh i thought you would be older given by what you write uh valentina invites lydia to dry off in her room where lydia confronts her directly about her husband as the women chat giovanni overhears his wife tell valentina that she feels like dying and putting an end to the agony of her life Noticing Giovanni, she tells him she is not a bit jealous of his playing around with Valentina. They say goodbye to Valentina and leave the party at morning's first light, with the jazz band playing for the few couples still listening. Yeah, that was cool. So did you notice how what I was talking about with how the ending is kind of... Or uh, the ending in Cold War is kind of reminiscent of the ending in this? Oh yeah, no, totally. The, the couple rekindling in the field, and then... Kind of ambiguous ending, I guess. Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't think they really rekindled at all. I mean, they start kissing, but it's not super uh, passionate. It's not like, really, though. Yeah. It's just, it's just, he's just trying to, like, kind of force the connection, but it's totally gone, you know? Like, there's nothing left between them. Yeah, that's always the worst when you have to be physically intimate with someone that you're just not into anymore. And it's yeah. like someone that maybe you still want to be intimate with. Like, I'm sure we've all been there. You feel like you should, but it's like you just don't. What you're feeling doesn't match up with what your expectations are of what you should be like. Yeah, I, I think that this part of the, the so this last scene, I think, hits the hardest in the entire movie, but. The part where she reads him the letter that he wrote to her, like when they were first in love, and he doesn't even realize that it was him that that it's his letter that she was reading. Just how disconnected he is from himself. I don't know that that hit home. I've been there. Like wow, I, that was I'm like not even the same person anymore. That was me. I don't know. And also, this is the first time in the movie that they're out in nature. Yeah, everything else, it's like blown up streets or big skyscrapers. Yeah, and they, well, so that's, I think, so this ties into the themes of um, just how depressing modernity is. And because, uh, like, in the, when they're in the city, nobody can connect or, they have to like suffer all by themselves. They're all spiritually isolated. Everyone's just fucking miserable. Everything's bleak. There's like a, you know, like basically they're all just a bunch of little squares and cubicles on a grid, you know, and then they can't really connect with each other until they come out into nature, kind of, which I feel like Antonioni is saying like, you know, what we're doing is not really natural and then he illustrates natural emotional connection in nature in a natural setting when they finally spill how they feel pretty depressing concept the movie but um i like it and i also like this movie because it's the way that you reach the feeling that it's trying to get across isn't necessarily through the surface like most movies are it kind of lets you 
think your way into feeling, which is kind of like almost never works. But with this, it's like the more you think about it, the more you feel. And I think that's really interesting. And I haven't really had that experience with any other, um, any other film really, like any other kind of cinema. Like his movies make you, through the analysis, you feel you feel more emotions. And there's just something really special about that. I don't know. Do you want to hear the review I wrote two years ago? Yeah, Cook. It's kind of like there's some... It's like slightly cringy because it was me two years ago, but I'll just read it. La Note, like La Ventura, was a very mind-expanding film for me. Michelangelo Antonioni has taught, taught me that even the environment can be used metaphorically, like the smoldering volcano under Claudia and Sandro, or in the case of this film, the female leads mirroring the development of two eras. Marcello Mastroianni plays a dispassionate writer who can't come up with any new ideas and only possesses memories. He becomes literally caught between, between two eras. His wife, Lydia, Jean Moreau, who is mirrored by the weathered pre-modernist architecture, and an industrialist, beautiful young daughter, Valentina, played by Monica Vitti, who is represented by the towering 1960s modernist skyscrapers. It's a good old-fashioned case of old versus new and the old is losing. The old buildings are being torn down and replaced with new ones. His old relationship is crumbling as a new fling with a hot young thing is ever more enticing. When Giovanni is caught between Lydia and Valentina, he must choose between the old times in the pre-modern and the new times in the modern age. In addition to this, the film maintains the theme of its predecessor, La Ventura, spiritual isolation. None of the characters can truly connect. This point is really driven home in the hospital scene when a woman outwardly displaying a need for emotional connection is portrayed as mentally insane. She only externalized the same turmoil that the rest of the characters internalized, and for that she was ostracized by society. She was suppressed and was simply releasing her built-up emotional anguish. And then I said, to be fair, she was acting kind of crazy, just a little bit. She was acting kind of crazy. Every single element of this film was geared towards the narrative. The characters even reflected it, literally. Reflections are a major motif of this film, frequently illustrating our characters as ghostly counterparts of their former selves. The very first shot of the film is a descending shot on the reflective exterior of a skyscraper, setting the scene for the empty world we're about to explore. It's like Antonioni knew exactly what he wanted to say before any other aspect was developed, as every piece of the film appears to be built upon that narrative. Not just upon it, but with it. He knew what he wanted to grow, and he planted the right seed. Anyway, it's not until the night ends that the characters are able to actually connect and bear their souls to each other. They've escaped from all the noise of the city and found the countryside, the symbolism of which I'm sure you recognize. Stripped of their modern surroundings, they are nothing but human beings that emotionally are naked like Adam and Eve when sentiment quickly turns its taps. Lydia speaks of their friend who passed without Giovanni's knowledge a while earlier. Their uh, relationship is so disconnected that she couldn't find the motivation to tell him this until now. As their emotional fortresses crumble, the truth arises from the rubble. She doesn't love him anymore. He says, there it is. Giovanni tries to convince them both that this isn't the case, but deep down he knows it to be true. Lydia then proceeds to read him a letter that was written to her imbued with un unadulterated love and admiration. The emotional depth has aged like a fine wine, starting perhaps as a fresh love picked from the vine, then fermented for years into something different, yet still profoundly impactful. Giovanni then appears jealous, asking who wrote her such a letter. He is shaken to his core when she tells him that he is the one who wrote it. 
He's jealous of his former fulfilled authentic self, which he has departed from and is merely a ghostly reflection of it. He is empty and unable to write or feel as he was once able to. Modernity has, has extracted him from humanity itself. This moment is what the film is all about. I cannot begin to express how this film has personally affected me. Its message is something that haunts me and all of us on a daily basis. It's still incredibly relevant, perhaps even more so now. Yeah, that was great. I'm glad you read that. That actually helped me uh, contextualize a lot of my feelings about the movie. And even, I'm not going to lie, maybe like the movie more. Because this is a movie I think you have to discuss and think about afterwards to fully enjoy um i don't know if you feel the same way gabe this is your first time watching it yeah um and then we're at the very ending scene here we're seeing giovanni desperately try to like rekindle or hold on to the love that they had after she read his letter back to him and it, i think it also plays into like his inability to decide what kind of life he wants and the, the part of the emptiness that he actually has within him. He has no clue what he wants. He doesn't know why he cheats. He's just doing it to feel something. He's just a very, uh, I don't want to say empty man. He, he just feels empty. So he he's trying to empty. fill it. He's trying to fill it with uh, any kind of sensation he had hidden well, his hands on. He's so desperate for like an emotional, look how desperate he looks. You know, he's just like trying so hard to get her to love him, but he, just like she's the only she's the closest thing to an emotional connection that he has yeah both left. both of them simply need to have the courage to admit that there's no love and they should just go like leave each other it's, there, there's no shame in that there's just there there is like a serious shame though in like desperately holding on to something because it has been good nostalgia does not make a healthy like uh, mind or coping mechanism. That's not how you live life, in my opinion, well. Is like I mean, also, you know, nobody wants to fall out of love, so if, if they admit that it's over, it means they have to do that, which that sucks. Sucks shit. Breaking up with someone sucks. Like, for the most part, sometimes it can be kind of fun, but... If the passion <laughs> is gone and you just don't care anymore, it still sucks. It, it is I know, the, yeah. It's always going to be painful. There's no such thing as a painless, like, break of any sort, but especially emotionally, right? But, like, uh... I, I don't know. I mean, at least you get to like live, and you're not holding, and you're, you're not living in a memory. Yeah. Yeah, I I just think Antonioni is a fucking genius. Like the just the shots of him wandering, both of them wandering through the streets, and just you're seeing their reflection and not the, their actual image. You know, just like this translucent figure just visually representing emptiness, you know, like, I don't know. I've never seen something so dense with metaphorical imagery that wasn't in your face about it. Yeah. It's not like 2001 or something. Yeah. It's, it's not like just rubbing it in, shoving it down your throat. You know, it's like there to be experienced. And if you're looking for it, you can, read into it so like another like like i was saying in the review um i had never really thought about like the look like the setting of a film being a tool to illustrate i guess metaphors or anything before i i feel like in, and in hindsight that sounds really stupid but i say like every movie set in new york they're always like and new york was like the fifth character yeah, yeah. and then like but like I remember watching La Ventura and it takes 
place on these volcanic islands and all these characters are like spiritually isolated you know and it makes me think of the song uh, I'm a rock I'm an island by Simon Garfunkel you know they're just on all these volcanic islands and like they're all they feel all alone and there's this smoldering sexual tension underneath which is the lava you know I don't know it's just like I'd never thought about something like that and it just kind of blew my mind he, he continued to blow my, blow my mind, like, throughout all the films of his that, that I've seen. And, like, he's going to be one of my favorite directors. I very much understand, like, why someone would have gripes with it, though, because his work is really slow, and it is, like... But, I don't know. So I forget who was talking to us, but they were like, oh, maybe you just don't like slow cinema when we were talking shit about Solaris. Oh, it was Lewis. And I was like... Nah, because this is slow cinema, I think. No, this is slow cinema. Yeah, and I like this shit. Yeah. And like, but there's so much more to chew on with this than something like Solaris because Solaris is snail cinema. Yeah. <laughs> but no, Solaris is dead cinema. <laughs> there's no sleeping. Like, there's not really a lot of mental stimulation happening in Solaris. Like with this, even if nothing's really happening, I know that what I'm watching, like the shot that I'm looking at is telling me something about the world or like it's, t- it's it's has some metaphorical explanation. You I'm, know? I'm sorry, but the, the, the setting and the camera work are far more interesting. Like the set, like this, like the, like the, the shot where was it Monica Vivi got introduced? Yeah. That, that yeah. Shot. And it's like, it, it starts from one reflection goes to a different reflection. Yeah. You're not, you're not seeing that in Solaris. Sorry. Ah, fuck that. Fuck you Tarkovsky. Yeah. Yeah. He's really just—he just really gave me nothing to chew on, like I don't know. This this is like I'm into this. This is my this is my slow cinema that I can do. I like this a lot. Yeah, you said you're a big fan of Italian uh, new wave. Yeah. I'm trying to think what else? I bicycle thieves. You fuck with bicycle thieves? I haven't seen uh, bicycle thieves. Vittorio De Sica. Uh, yeah, maybe, I don't know. I just know there's a really good scene where they eat cheesy bread. That's what I remember from Bicycle Thieves. Cheese bread? Yeah, yeah they eat, like, cheese bread. And it, bread. and it looks like the tastiest cheese bread I've ever seen. Asiago bread. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they go to Papa John's, she get some cheese bread and steal some bikes. I'll, I'll watch it. I know it's supposed to, you're supposed to see it. I, I've only seen a couple Fellini movies. I haven't seen... I feel like I should watch more of them. I just haven't gotten around to it. I've seen eight and a half, and then... Um, okay, so you saw the big ones that, like, you can at least check that off a box. So, like, yeah, but there, I want to see La Dolce Vita, like, really bad, actually. Mm-hmm. I've, I've almost watched it several times, and I've never watched it, and I feel like I'm going to love it. Yeah, it's on my list of movies to see this year that I have hung up. It looks really good, dude. Did you? That, that's like Tarantino's favorite, isn't it? Yeah, well, isn't that... No, Eight and a Half is the one with the Pulp Fiction dance. Um, but he loves La Dolce Vita. Yeah, that's like his production company name. What? Really? A Band Apart. Oh, fuck. I was thinking of A Band Apart. That's, For, so that's, forget uh, everything I said. No, it's all good. Um, no, he's A Band Apart. The Yeah, Band of Outsiders, Jean-Luc Godard. That's his production company. Which is funny. Didn't Godard hate Tarantino? Doesn't he hate... He hates Tarantino. That's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, he sucks. <laughs> He's unoriginal. 
That's pretty harsh. I know. Imagine Welcome. getting killed by Jean Luc Godard that your shit sucks. Just getting bodied by Jean Luc Godard. Like you're one of the greatest filmmakers of all time. That would suck. Yeah. You have to have a pretty high confidence level to keep going after one of the premier auteurs takes you down. AJ, what would you do if Steven Spielberg said he hated your work? Um, you would never say that. <laughs> I'd probably be, I'd definitely be sad. I'd be like, wow, I mean, at least you've seen it, Steven. That's kind of an honor, I guess. You think dude, you have so like... many comebacks, so you could just be like, dude, you made BFG. Yeah, to be fair, I've seen the music video he directed, and I gotta say, not that impressive, Steve. <laughs> he did like a Marcus Mumford music video they shot on an iPhone. I was like, this is the one you're setting your foot out with? Oh. They're like, his first ever music video, and it's literally just him filming Marcus Mumford playing the guitar in a gymnasium. Yeah, I think he's he's all out of juice, to be yeah. honest. Fableman's rocks. You gotta see Fableman's. Oh, that's true. Yeah, I haven't seen that. I haven't but seen yeah, that. yeah, he's lost a lot of juice. Yeah, that's what happens. I mean, yeah, he's old. Yeah, he's got Indiana Jones, like, fucking, right? I don't know. He doesn't still have Indiana Jones. That shit's owned by Disney. Yeah, that's true. So, AJ, did you, um, I saw you gave Line Out Tape three stars. Did you like it more this time? Yeah, I definitely liked it more in my second watch. My first one, I did have a very honk-shoe, honk-shoe reaction to it. Uh, this time, now that I knew it was... Like actually gonna happen i was more able to get into the atmosphere versus the first time i'm like when the fuck are they gonna leave this hospital <laughs> uh, i definitely liked it more watching the second time and i like it even more now talking with you than i did after watching it i still don't ever think it's gonna be a movie that i personally connect with that much it's a movie that i'll always respect and say like yes that is a good movie capital g stamp that's the aj approval but i'm never gonna uh, have that as my letterbox top four it's Oh, a little, man. yeah, it's a slower than I typically like. A lot of the emotions are a little more restrained than I usually look for. But yeah, again, capital G, good movie. I don't want to yuck anyone's yum. I, I definitely, so this movie, I really got, like, I mean, I still have to rewatch it now because I kind of fucked my time management up. But uh, no, I went in with zero expectations and it was really enjoyable because of that. Because every time I enjoy a movie, I go in, like, not having any preconceived notions. And that's probably my best outcome. Like... Did it get you thinking a lot when you were watching it? No, but uh, that's probably like a, like a second reviewing thing. So it's like when you're reading subtitles, no matter what, you're always kind of diverting your attention. When you have a bit a bit better of a grasp on like what they're saying, and like, how, like then you can start to read into the tone and then the themes. And I don't know. That's just one issue I've always had with like films that are in like a different language is that I'm constantly using a different part of my brain. Well, you're you're also like dyslexic, right? No, I'm just dumb. <laughs> no, but aren't you, aren't you, like, slightly dyslexic or something? No, I have a hard ADHD, oh, so, uh, and maybe, uh, well, you know, a cocktail of other stuff, but no dyslexia. Word. I guess, for some reason, I thought you did. No, yeah, this second viewing, I definitely vibed with the characters more. I felt they were more fleshed out on my second time. My first time, I was like, these are some boring-ass crackers, and the second time, I was like, oh, no, they're deeply depressed, and their relationship is faltering. Like, it makes sense that they're more muted and not doing the marriage story. I wish you were dead! Yeah. That was a, sounded exactly <laughs> like him. <laughs> like you're fucking dead! Uh, I can't do Adam Driver. I, I will finish what you started. I wish you were dead! <sighs> Every day I wake up! 
<laughs> that that cut though would be perfect. Yeah, yeah wake up. <laughs> Feeling like P. Diddy. Dude, that makes me happy that you liked it more this time. Do you think you'll watch the other uh, two in the trilogy? Yeah, probably. Honestly, you should probably schedule them as Criterion episodes. It'll motivate me more, but... <laughs> okay. Lavender is really good. Scorsese loves that one. Dude. I bet he fucking does. Yeah, I bet he does. Oh, wait. You guys want to do the finance corner with Gabe? Sure. Do it. All right. So the... Fun, this you just have to kind of like lead in with this is that post World War One, and then the, the like the one two combo of World War Two fucked every country in Central and Western economy. Why? Well, you know, uh, they kept blowing their own shit up and then trying to rebuild it. That'll do it. But uh, yeah. So uh, this movie, there's no like production. Like they don't ever tell you what it costs to make this movie. Like I looked a ton of places. Not a single fucking word. But we'll just go with the gross box office. What do you guys think this made in the box office? Not very much. What's the Italian currency? Uh, back then? Dollarino. It made a uh, $3 billion. Dollarino. <laughs> yeah. Uh, actually, yeah, I mean, back then they were using the lira, which is an extinct currency. Right. So when, oh, so in the 60s. When did they switch yeah. to euro? I think in the 70s when their economy was like acceptable to the EU. They are like, yeah, you can join. Okay, so lira... Yeah. It uh, made a many spicy meatballs. What is the What is the conversion rate of lira to It's fucking absurd to a dollar. Yeah. It's it's insane. Like a today's dollar. Well, that's even more insane. Oh fuck. Well, should yeah. we just go based off of like 196 in 1960. So a dollar in 1960. It, yeah, 1960. so it says a lira is worth 3 cents in yeah. uh American today or in 1962 uh well this is, wait no that's a turkish lira yeah that's an issue they is there a difference we should just have one money one money that we all use and it's bitcoin <laughs> no dogecoin imagine if that was just the world's currency dogecoin dogecoin hell yeah Fuck that's man. the future i want to see uh, i don't want that future <laughs> um how much money did it make gabe uh, in, do- in in dollars, it made about like seven hundred thousand dollars. But in today's standards, or no, that's nineteen sixty two dollars. On the thing really, is, that's a lot of money. I'll it's... do the conversion real quick. Well, it's about like it's four not... million lire. I guess it's not that much money. I mean, for but that's it, eh, kind of a lot for a movie back then. I feel like I don't know. Actually, I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm just gonna. <laughs> I don't know if it is or not, if it isn't. Um. So it made two point three million dollars in twenty twenty three money. Okay, yeah. Twenty twenty three money. Okay, yeah, whatever. Yeah. But movies also in general made like proportionally less back then, right? So. I mean, honestly, these days a, a movie like this making that much would be fucking insane. Currencies, yeah. currencies worth more back then, depending on the inflation rate. Yeah, movies also just don't make money anymore. Every movie that gets released just doesn't make money. No one goes to see it. Yeah, I mean that's kind of streaming's fault if we're being honest oh 100 percent, yeah but like movies in the 60s too didn't make like that much money did they no foreign films didn't but like american films could for sure yeah american films would clean house they had road shows back then like they would make it a big event how much is like a typical 1960s success in america um i'd have to look it up i know the sound of music if it was adjusted for inflation, would be in the top 10 uh, highest grossing movies of all time. 
think Wizard of Oz too, right? Like that's the was that thirties? That was yeah, those thirties. So I'm just looking at the list of highest grossing films well, adjusted uh, for inflation. Inflation's a son of a bitch, dude. Regardless, it is an art house film, so the fact that it made any any inkling of a profit is pretty great. Weird thing, I think it was funded by the U.S. in a way. I don't know, because like I don't feel like he would get funding from Italy at the time. They had an Italian film production. I don't. I don't know. You might want to check into that whether the U.S. gave any money for La Notte Gabe. Okay, I will. Because I don't know enough about the production, but I'm. I don't think that's true. That's that's my real issue. I couldn't find anything about production on this movie. He didn't. He didn't. He didn't do anything. No, this is all Italian. He didn't do anything involving American producers until um, Blow Up, okay. which he made in America. Wait, no, in England. Never mind. No, no, no. It's the brisky point that he made in America. Trying to look up all of the production companies on this, and I gotta say they all have very Italian Italian sounding names. Neppy Film, Sofiti oh, yeah. Dip. There's no chance then, okay. But so, so actually, I was talking with my homie, who you know, but I'm, I just don't want to say names. Um, he he was saying that he's saying with James Gordon Levitt. <laughs> so, uh, like Zabriskie, I haven't seen Zabriskie Point yet, but apparently the soundtrack is made by Pink Floyd. And Grateful Dead. Wait, that in nineteen seventies? Was it was it the Pompeii like era when they went there and did fucking the metal album? No, was, okay. here I'm pulling it up. But uh, Herbie Hancock did blow up. What the? F- I know, dude. So Antonioni had like some banging musicians <laughs> yeah. on this shit, dude. It was super cool. I bet he was a good hang. I thought oh, he was totally. too. Uh, no, apparently. So apparently, so when Jack Nicholson worked with him, he was like, "Dude, he's such a good hang." Like, he always made sure we had like an. He loved a good meal. Michelangelo would always like. I bet. Sure the restaurants and just had a big ass meal. And uh, yeah, apparently Jack Nicholson was pretty good friends with him. That's a but, fucking wrecking crew right there. Imagine rolling up to the function with Jack Nicholson and Antonioni. And Monica Vitti. And Monica Vitti, yeah. Dang. Dude, getting a cocktail with Jack Nicholson in the 70s would be fucking wild. Hey, man. I'm not going to do it, Jack. Rip Monica Vitti, by the way. She died recently uh, in the past year. This one goes out to Monica Vitti. I fucking love her, bro. Um, So, yeah, it would have been metal. right before Metal. Hell yeah. That they did that. Dude, I, I this is a hot take. Any album by uh, Pink Floyd before Metal, not a fan of. I don't think that's a hot take at all. Yeah. When did metal come out? 1971. So that's oh, one. Yeah. That's <laughs> what's even before? Umaguma. Adam Hart, Mother. That's that's a real album name is Umaguma. Umaguma. More sauce full of secrets. Yep. So Zabriskie Point was 1970 and Metal came out in 1971. So Okay. They would have just there there is it the soundtrack probably is really interesting then. Mm. And they had fucking Jerry Garcia yeah. too and like you know, the Grateful Dead and shit. What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is, yeah, just hope this pike like, post up and have a concert over there. Why not? That's awesome. Fire. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, so I I got my one of my friends who um, is really into music, um, but he he's like really hard to get to watch like art house films and stuff. But I got him to watch <laughs> Blow Up because Herbie Hancock scored it. Wait, do I know him? Uh, no, you've never met him. Okay. But it was like... That made him. That made him watch it. 
So that's just that's how dope Herbie Hancock is. He's fucking sweet. I saw him live at the Hollywood Bowl. It was fucking awesome. Dang, Blow Up looks cool. I gotta watch Blow Up. It's pretty sweet. Herbie Hancock's one of the best shows I've ever been to. Well, hot damn. You guys want some Marie Ann Trivia Net? Yeah. I saw what you wrote for there. That was really funny. <laughs> you just said yeah. Monica Lee is hot. Oh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> Basically. That was a piece of trivia that she is the most beautiful woman to ever live, which is telling because we've had like three of the most beautiful women to ever live discussed on this show. We, we are back to back to back in terms of like a hottest actors ever in movies. Yeah. Who were the other ones? Well, you got Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy in Before Sunrise. That's how we started this whole thing. Um, we got everyone in Crash. Right. Yeah. Yeah, everyone in Crash, Gabe. Vaughn? Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's a freak. Yeah. He's a freak. Certified switch. Certified freak. Um, there's not a lot of trivia. Uh, most of it was very boring, so I didn't feel like putting it on here, unless you want to know that this is Criterion Spine number 300 or whatever. I didn't think that was worth saying. I said it, so. <laughs> yeah. Now Mar you know. <laughs> Marika VT is my just, like, ultimate, just, like, the number one sex symbol for me. Ever. With a bullet? With a bullet, yeah. Like, no one comes close. Who would be your top ten? Monica Vitti. I mean, how do we not list porn stars in that, though, you know? Uh, Gabe. Have what? some what? taste. Oh, oh, okay. That's that's some shaming right there. I don't appreciate that. Porn stars 100%, 100%, Gabe. We're talking about Monica Vitti, and you're like, yeah, but, like, what about, uh... I couldn't think of a porn star. Put one in. Uh, Sasha Gray. Sasha Sa Gray. What about Sasha Gray? Not even, yeah, no, we cannot. That, it's like a crime to mention Sasha Gray and Monica Vitti in the same sentence. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. We're, we're getting a little playfully sexist here, Gabe, but you, the audience knows what we mean. Like, we're talking about, uh, uh, I don't know. I don't even know what we're talking about. What are we talking about? Is anyone listening? I want to hear your top 10 of all time, Noah, and no interruptions. I don't know if I can think of 10. I Because, like, the only woman that... I think about is Monica Vitti. Wait, can I try to name some that I think might be in your top 10? Yeah. Because we, we know you pretty well. Okay, hold on. I just don't think about this kind of thing a lot. Who was, who was, who was a woman in Baby Driver that we all kind of fell in love with? Oh. Uh, Lily James? Lily James. I don't know, man. Yeah, I was into her, but she's not like an iconic. Yeah, it's not iconic. I'm just going to name ones that I, I have explicitly heard you talk about. So there's like Maya Hawke. Um, <laughs> Uma Thurman. Yeah, Uma Thurman. They're kind of a little package deal there. <laughs> Zendaya. Yeah. Again, none of which... Well, the only one who's anywhere close to Monica, though, is Uma. In terms of, like, status, you know? Yeah. And... Um, oh, God. There's someone who's right on the tip of my tongue. I can't remember if you said Anya Taylor-Joy is or if she's just, like, a flavor. I don't know if I would personally say she's your top ten. Me deciding your life. I, I really, I really like her, but you know, it's I don't know. Honorable mention. The only two that I like love are like fucking Anna Karina and Monica Vitti. Those are like my top two. I don't care if I'm considered like a fucking Neanderthal for this take, but Angelina Jolie. No. I don't care. 
DSL is dialed up to 11. Oh, oh, oh. Audrey Hepburn. Yeah, that was who I was thinking of. I was trying to think of some like old Hollywood actor. Rita Hayworth. Rita Hayworth is uh, a pretty good one. That's should just be a given. Is Monroe too easy? Like I don't really. Find we already. Uh, he he's given his opinion on Marilyn Monroe. What about you? Uh, top ten of all time. Just your top three, because top twenty. Um, Catherine Hepburn would be mine. That's fair. Yeah, she's my she's my Hepburn. If that if that doesn't explain it, like that should be a given. Um, <laughs> um, trying to think of someone else, not not just like naming old screwball comedian actresses like a fucking weirdo. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, either Greta Gerwig or Saoirse Ronan. I'm gonna say package deal on both of those. It it changes. One's mommy. One's like. I don't know, sister. <laughs> I don't know the other term. Sarsha. Sarsha. It's simple as can be. It's Sarsha. My mom wanted me to like, she was like, you need to find yourself a Sarsha Ronan. She's, She's trying to set like, you up with a nice Irish actor girl. She wants me to date an Irish girl. <laughs> she caught the fever. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> she caught the potato fever. <laughs> she, got, she caught the potato famine. <laughs> She got the potato, the spud fever. Ah, uh, she's got a bad case of the spuds. That sounds like the suds from SpongeBob. Yeah. She went looking for a pot of gold. Came back with the spuds. <laughs> um, Alison Brie, I'm gonna say she's my third. Love her. She was a very early Horse awakening girl. for AJ. Horse girl. Horse girl sucks shit. I we don't count that. I'm talking community, Alison Brie. That was when I that was when I fell in love with Alison Brie when I was like in seventh grade. Um, the film was censored in Italy upon release. Cuts included having the scene between Giovanni and the hospital patient end the moment they start kissing. Any shot in which you can see Lydia's naked chest removed. The word whore being uttered by a woman in the park was removed. And the final scene where the two leads embrace uh, ends just right as they embrace, I guess. Weak. Yeah, bad. Why? Why do? Why do that? One of the why make that is. decision? I know. Imagine being a person who works for like a ratings board, and your whole job is just to say, "Yes, this needs to be taken out of the piece of art I just watched. I don't care how it affects; just needs to be gone. Yeah. Get it out. The ending of your movie, get it out. Your whole job is to be a wet sandwich. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and to actively ruin someone's like a thing they've made. Yeah. Can you you can't really do that with any other art form go up to it besides maybe like books and stuff. No, I mean there's music you can just censor it on the radio, but I guess that's not the same. But I am talking about just like going up to a painting like you need to remove this top square, this top like oh. inches of the painting to be released. I get you. Yeah, not at all. No. Like yeah. Well, I guess J Japan, well, I don't know. Yeah. Were you about to say fucking Japanese porn Gabe? Were you, you were about to say, oh, well, it's the yeah. same as when they censor genitalia in Japanese porn. The same as taking the ending of La Note out. It's the same in my head. Yep, pretty much. Just like Monica Vitti <laughs> is a porn star to you. Hey, man, it's all the same in my brain. It's a mis- Like, I'm, I'm an omnivore of art. I make no distinction. <laughs> all the same. 
Hentai. Hentai. You're a resident culture critic, Gabe. You you all under one umbrella. That's so brave of you, honestly. You know what? You say that I'm the most traveled here. Dude, you're, you're, you're so worldly. <laughs> so worldly, and yeah. He's so worldly. He watches tentacle porn. Yeah, you guys are just a bunch of bigots. <laughs> uh, in the Mad Men season two episode, the new girl Don Draper mentions La Note in a rare conversation about things he actually likes. No, oh, yeah. that's cool because he's like yeah. he's like the coolest dude ever. So. Uh, I was wondering if that like is what motivated you to watch it. No, if seeing that you're like La Note, let me see. No, I came to it just looking. I was like, who are the? I looked up who the good directors were, and I started watching all their movies. And but I didn't. I actually did not know that Don Draper said that. Mad Men fucks though. So yeah, this does seem like a movie that he could watch. He'd drink a scotch and watch in silence. Yeah, it would so, just be like him alone in the theater. All depressed and like, yeah, drunk. That's actually like a perfect movie for him to watch. Yeah, that might be kind of close to home for him, honestly. Yeah. That's pretty fire. Um, both Stanley Kubrick and Lars von Trier named this as one of their favorite films. Respect. Cool. Stanley, whenever, I think if Stanley Kubrick gives you a stamp for approval, his fucking like yeah. hyper controlling mind, I feel like that's pretty, yeah, pretty big. If he says something's good, you should probably listen to him. Yeah. He had the most like random takes though. Like he would say the jerk. You guys know the movie The Jerk? It's a Steve Martin movie. He was like, That's one of the best movies ever made. Really? Yeah. It's Steve Martin, like the fucking banjo playing. Yep, that's Steve Martin. Oh. Yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh this movie won the Jussie Award. The what? Can you repeat that? This movie won the Jussie Award. Jussie. 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 Are you, are you just like lying? <laughs> you know, you know what I'm thinking, right? Jussie. Yeah, I know what you're thinking. No, it won the Jussie Award, which is a diploma of merit for a foreign actress. <laughs> Wait, is that a U.S. award? What is that? It is a Finnish award. It's from Finland. Oh, well, that's a gobbly language, Finnish. Oh yeah, so so Jussie. It won more awards than that. I just thought it. I just thought it was funny to mention it won the Jussie Award. Yeah. I genuinely thought you were lying for a second. I had a, I had a classmate from Finland. He was fun. Was it Tom? No. Tom of Finland? No. You know Tom of Finland? Noah, no. do you know Tom of Finland? No. I, I know that this thing. I just don't know what the reference okay. is. Okay, oh, it's okay. He's, a, he's an artist I think you guys would really like. Yeah, I'm just going to pull up some Tom of Finland art. It's it's actually like right up your guys' alley. I think you'd be... Yeah. You'd no, be I, know exactly, I know exactly who this is, actually. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, I know, because you're such a big fan already. Ooh, here's the big payoff to the joke. Oh, it's gay shit. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I respect it. I do. Yeah, yeah this is Tom of Finland. I, I respect this man's, like, vibe. Why are all these guys just, like, hung as fuck? They're just, like, uber masculine. To like, Why next... not? Yeah. Like if you, if you use all this kind of like crazy oh wow if you use all this kind of like crazy dimensions and like women in cartoon porn it would be like whatever but like it's just weird seeing it with dicks it is weird AJ can you bring back the dick drawings uh did they ever go away 
I guess I haven't been around you. Yeah, I'm still drawing. You send me them every now and then. <laughs> Just <laughs> check in on you. Yeah, no, drop that in the group chat. Dude, I, see that too. Dude, I, I miss them. I don't do them a whole lot anymore. Now I only draw for pay. Uh, you should draw for yourself, too. I draw for myself, but that's just for me. You should share the dick pics. Um, I could draw a dick pic right now. Here, that'll be the big thing this episode ends with, is me revealing my dick picture. I'm going to try to keep hosting and also draw. Uh, you guys want some letterbox bad reviews? Yeah. We got to come up with a name for this segment. More snappy. Uh, little bar, uh, I don't know. Uh, Is there a pun we can do? Letter, uh, letter knows. B- bad box. <sighs> we can do cold takes. Cold takes. Um. Stupid people. Stupid baby back bitches. Just, just like stupid idiots who have bad opinions. So can... all of these names are great that we're spitting right now. I just want to say that first and foremost, but we call it a corner of shame. Let's table it to later. So this first review comes from NV uh, Dorn. Uh, they say, encountered an unbearable impatience when placing this piece in time. Have to watch it again in a peaceful mood to do it justice. Till then, one star. Ugh. Oh. Look, I mean, I get it. I didn't really vibe with it the first time I watched it, but I didn't write a scathing review afterwards. I was like, uh, maybe I'll give this a rewatch in a couple of years under a better circumstance. That it though, it's just so cringy. Yeah. He, he literally admitted in his own review that he was biased or that they were biased. It's like, well, clearly, yeah, why are you reviewing it then if you don't think you can like it? Because it's fun. I don't know. It's kind of fun. Yeah. I get hating something, but I don't like get undermining your own like argument while you're like, like critiquing something. Yeah. Look, this is Letterbox. It's not a, a spring. It's not a fountain of good film criticism. We're doing this to mock these people. Yeah, true, true. Like, don't get it wrong. If I have mentioned your Letterbox account on this, it is because I'm directly mocking you. Like, I that think your good. review is bad and funny, and that's why I want to laugh at it with my friends. Last week, there, <laughs> no, last week there was a banger though. Oh, which one was that? That was a oh, the like I'm nutting one. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that was just great. Yeah. Well, yeah, every once in a while, I'll also spotlight a, a deserving account. I feel can get that criteria cast bump. That was just like a that was a good piece of writing in general. Like I respected it. Come yeah, well, it won a Peabody Award. I actually went back and saw. Uh, what's the next one, sir? <laughs> this next one comes from Brian. Uh, Brian says pretentious portrayal of bored rich people in a boring film. I hate that, like, that whole, like, rich people argument. That shit annoys the fuck out of me. Like, so, oh, so I'm supposed to care about some fucking rich person who fights the Joker and... That's just such an obtuse thing to say. Yeah, like, also, yeah. No, I don't think anything they did really screamed of, like, wealthy person arrogance. Like, they just, you know, he's a writer. They're in a bad relationship. They weren't, like, doing any sort of... A rich people be doing this kind of shit, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's just like so, I don't know, it's just so black and white, you know, to <laughs> view something as like, it's just like so 
uh, it's so, more complex than that. You yeah. know, it's not just oh we have money so everything's perfect. Like that's not how it works. Not everything has to be analyzed through like a class critique. You know, like this was one of those movies that had nothing to do with class. Yeah. Really. Like yeah, like truly, I, this one it had less to do with class than my left nut. I'm not good on the metaphors tonight. There was there was one mention of him writing as a Marxist, and that's about as close as we got. Yeah, it was it was kind of an apolitical movie. Yeah. Which not every movie has to be. Yeah. It was pretty apolitical. Uh, this review comes from Ophia. Uh, Ophia says, "Ironic how a film that set during a single night took me nearly three days to finish." Okay. Okay. Get better time management. Like I fall in that camp too, but like I don't think I've ever taken three days to finish a movie. The most it's two. If after two days, I'm like, I'll come back to this later. I'm like, I just don't like this movie. I've actually been watching too much TikTok. Yeah. So yeah. I yeah. Uh, I try not to split movies up across uh, days anymore, and I've never done that. Where it's like, oh well, I'll watch ten minutes every day. It's like, well, you're not watching the movie then. You're just showing clips. Yeah, you have to have the yeah. snowball effect of things building up over time. You can't just cut it off and start a new snowball. Coming back to any piece of media, I feel like, oh, like a couple days is fucking weird. I think the most I ever try to do, because I think this can still work, it's not as valid uh, as watching it just all the way through, but I think if you start it at night and then like go to sleep and then finish it the next That's day fine. or yeah. something, and you like... Especially if you evenly split it into two parts, it can still work pretty well. Again, it's you're not going to get the same experiences if you just sat down and watched the movie beginning to end. But we all have lives. We can't all do that with everything all the time, always. Yeah. Yeah. No, the, the, yeah. I think the word, the, the thing that suffers the most from that is like a book where you're like read part of a book and then you walk away for a month. And you're like, oh, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. Yeah, but then you're like, I have to finish this book, but yeah. I just forgot everything that I read. Yep. You like no fucking context. You're like, oh, yeah. but even if you get like a little busy in your life, then you're like, oh, I gotta put this book down and go actually do things. Yeah, that's no, so easy to stop reading a book. <laughs> so yeah. like, I, I think we said this a bunch on the, on the, on the but uh, yeah, that's my biggest critique of Solaris is I'd rather be reading. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, honestly, I like reading though. I mean, reading's fine. That's not yeah, that but... big of a roast, but like, I on this like I at the same time, yeah, it kind of is. It's pretty big if a movie yeah. is less entertaining than a book. Yeah. <laughs> I would rather read nonfiction than read than watch Solaris. There's some good nonfiction, some gripping. No, there is. I'm just trying to come up with a way for it to... I'd rather read the phone book than read Solaris. I'd rather yeah. read an autobiography. Of... I'd rather read my own obituary. <sighs> I'd rather read Simone de Beauvoir than fucking read... than watch Solaris. Can't even understand what she's saying. This next review comes from Nisalk. People just be putting letters together. Uh, they say not much of a plot. Some good jazz music. Watched on Criterion Channel. This person doesn't sound very smart. See, I was gonna say I like that review because it sounds like something Noah you would say, but give it five stars. You know, not much of a plot. Some good jazz music. Watched on Criterion Channel. Five stars. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that is kind of a five-star no review. Yeah, that, yeah. all right, you got me. <laughs> yeah, I'm into that stuff. So. 
Yeah, that's or jazz is fun. Like I like it, but yeah. Yeah. Um, this last review, I uh, I just brought it up because I wanted to see if any of you guys knew who the fuck they're talking about. Visually impressive as Antonioni always is, but I cannot handle the dialogue in this movie. It's so middle-brow. It's like George Will or Thomas Friedman or David Brooks wrote it. I don't know who any of these people are. Do you, Gabe? No. Yeah, I didn't either. I was like, who the f- middle-brow? This movie's middle-brow to you? I'm not a How punk. high is your brow, sir? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I don't know who these people are because I'm not a pompous fucking bitch. Let me look it up. Who the fuck is George Will? That's the most annoying thing about watching movies in the, of this caliber is it's like the fans of the movies are always so annoying and pretentious. Okay, they're all just journalists. Like two of them work for the New York Times. Yeah. <laughs> Can we all just make like a, I don't know how to audibly make the jerk off motion, but just know that I'm doing it. Great, great, wait, AJ, can you read the review again while he's doing that for the sound effects? Yeah. Every day, things are getting colder. Visually impressive as Antonioni always is, but I cannot handle the dialogue in this movie. It's so middle-brow, it's like George Will or Thomas Friedman or David Brooks wrote it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so smart. Well, I know what this week's clip's gonna be. <laughs> yeah, so those were the bad letterbox reviews, bad letter boys. Bad letter boys, I'm gonna say that's the new failing segment. Reviews. Bad yeah. letter boys, it's Wait, stamped. What about failing reviews? Nope, I already stamped it, Gabe. Bad letter boys. Oh, that's clever. The term has already been coined. The, the term, the term yeah. has been coined, it's minted. Yeah, whatever. Okay, so this is what my dick's looking like. Oh, it's not going to show up on screen because it's... Oh! Fuck. Hold on. Let me see if I can... Put it in front of your face. (laughs) Oh, I see it! There it is. You see it? You see it in glorious black and white. Hey, Jason! Did you put shadows in there, too? Yeah, of course I shaded it. You think I'm a fucking preschooler, Gabe? Hey, Jason! Nice cock! Nice cock, Jason! Have you seen that oh, video? Oh, AJ, here's, here's a good one, I think, just conceptually. Is le- the Leaning Tower of Pisa, but has a penis. The Leaning Tower of Penis? Leaning Tower of Penis, yep. Fire. <laughs> that Gabe coming up with that, just like... Dude, just, <laughs> just like a... It's like a little, it's like a little curved, just a little, too. It's a, just a bend in it, yeah. Yeah. Nice That's car! That's good. I'm not going to make it, because it definitely exists. Yeah, it's true. The Leaning Tower of Penis. I'm just going to type that in. I guarantee you that's a porno. Things are pieces. Okay, there's none that have an actual penis. There's a lot where people make it look like it's their penis. Well, there you go. Oh, wait, no, that's... Yep, there we go. Someone put balls on it. Yeah, but like... You know. It's not who did it first, it's who does it best. So maybe I'll still make it. Please do it. Yeah. That's all I got for La Note. Noah, you got anything you want to cook on? It's your, uh, it's your movie. I'm trying to think if there's anything else I wanted to say. Uh, no, not nothing else other than um, watch the rest of Antonioni's filmography because it's really good. Mm, yeah, like the La Ventura, La Note, Le Clis. 
great trilogy. Uh, they all have Mona Caviti. And then Red Desert is fantastic as well. That's in color. And then Blow Up Rocks. And I would like to see Zabriskie Point because I haven't seen that one yet. And I want to hear a Pink Floyd soundtrack to some Antonioni visuals. That sounds pretty fire. That would fucking eat. Uh, yeah, he's got seven movies in the Criterion Collection, so we got ample opportunity to talk about him. Oh, yeah. Sweet. Over the course of the 50 years that we do this podcast for. The, the Antonioni month. <laughs> it's Antonioni. Uh, what, what month would he be? August, Antonioni. Antonioni, August. Antonioni, August. August Tonioni. It sounds like a name, but Tonioni, August. Oh, Tony, to, yeah. Michael August. Octonioni. There we go. We got it. Octonioni. We have to do horror movies in October, though. This is like years from now, Gabe. We're planning these out. What, are we going to end the podcast at the end of the year? No, this is going until we die. True. And even then, after we're we're all done, it'll be Criteria Cast Legacy. It'll pass on to our kids. Yeah, bro. We're in this for life. We saw our blood oath. It's true. Literally, if we stop the podcast, we will die. We did a semen pact. We all came on the waffle, and then we had to see who did it last, and then they had to eat it. We made like the we made the unbreakable vow from Harry Potter: if we break it, we die. But it's just us ending the podcast. Um. All right. Then final thoughts, Gabe. Start out. It looked really good. Uh, I'm gonna give this a four out of five, straight up. No, no, like you know, you know, ironic bullshit. I just really like this movie. Um. I'm going to get deeper into the symbolism later on, see if I get any different takes, different takeaways, but yeah, no, I was, I was very pleasantly surprised. I think it's it's kinda, pretty- I'm going to say it now because you're talking, Gabe, but this reminded me of Playtime. I forgot to bring that up in terms does, of... It does, right? That's, I didn't want to say it because I didn't want to like just interject that. But I All right, felt- final thoughts later. Let's cook on this. Yeah, so this movie is like, it could be a good double feature with Playtime. It's the Barbie and Oppenheimer of its day. You got two oh, views yeah. of modernist society taking over the world. One's goofy, one's bleak. Yeah. One's bright and colorful. They're like tripping around their offices. The other one's like, our love is gone. Yeah. <laughs> this felt like a far more like, I don't know, cynical look at modernism, which I appreciated. I do, I do feel that too. But like I also wanted to put in the word for like you know playtime where sometimes in the modern world I feel like very like light and buoyant and it's kind of goofy and fun. Sometimes it depends on what my mental state is, but I get both of these. Yeah, it's La Note, but get silly with it. Yeah, <laughs> I gotta see that. Yeah, we you were on for playtime, weren't no. you? Oh, that's a that's a good one. It's one of my we'll, favorites. We'll do another playtime someday. Yeah, we'll play again, boys boys play again what if next year we just cover the same movies again no. and then we just do that until we die that God. sounds like the third circle of hell yeah there's this uh a podcast that's called the worst idea ever or something like that and every week they watch grown-ups too so just know this could be a lot worse for you guys i could have as the schedule maker <laughs> Dude, what I- if every week i was like i right, remember guys we got to watch uh, paul blart 2 for next week I don't care if, if like we would all die from the friendship pact. I would probably like just kill us all in a suicide <laughs> pact. There's only one way out of this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm taking you all with me. I'm out. You'd think they'd run out of material, but yeah. All right, Gabe, you gave it a four out of five. Uh, I'll go. I'll let Noah go last because it's his movie. Yeah, I like this movie a lot more my second time uh, viewing it, and even more after talking about it with you guys. 
not one of my personal faves. It's a movie I respect more than I enjoy, but it's still a capital G good movie from AJ. It would make my end of life list of movies that I think you should watch. And I think it's a good time, no alcohol required. I need a number, AJ. Uh, 37 out of 41. That's good. That's rating. pretty good. That's an A. It's an A? That's yeah, sure. I'll give it an A. Good job. You're one of my best students. Good job, Antonioni. You're on the honor roll. A for Antonioni. Nice. Okay. Um, yeah, man. I, I, what can I say? I love this movie. It uh, changed. I think, it, I think a piece of art is really great when it makes you look at something differently or just changes the way that you think about something, in, no matter how small or big that is. I think that's uh, that's the dub, and uh, it's great in pretty much every aspect. And uh, I'll probably watch it at least five more times before I die. Uh, five out of five. Molto bene. Uh, this has been Criteria Cast. Oh, uh, grazie for listening. Uh, be sure to come back next week. We will be covering Notorious. Watch Notorious. We're covering Notorious. Hopefully our guests will be able to make it. He hasn't responded to me following up. But if so, we'll have a good guest. If not, then it'll just be the boys and we can just fucking pal around. But yeah, thank you for listening. Follow us on Spotify, Apple. We're on YouTube now. Follow our Instagram. Follow Gabe. Follow Noah. Follow me. Uh, follow us around in our daily lives. Do it from a distance, though. Don't creep us out. Uh, text us every now and then. Make sure that we're doing okay. Text your friends. Make sure they're doing okay. Checking on your loved ones. Uh, live each day like it's your last. Enjoy the time you have, and we'll see you at the moons. We're on YouTube.